Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome those uh, here at our 930 service, those who are at the Well Cafe today, as well as anyone who's uh, uh, with us online. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as the senior pastor here. And uh, if you are a first-time guest in any of those venues or just watching online for the first time, uh, thanks for being a part of this worship service today. Um, If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open that to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, if you are uh, in one of our worship spaces today, you can find Luke 24 on page 1644 in the blue Bibles that we have available for you. Uh, And if by chance uh, you don't have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to stop by any of our connecting points uh, after the service. Uh, We have some Bibles there for you. We'd love to give you uh, that as our gift to you today. Uh, We are beginning a brand new series, uh, one that will carry us over the next four weeks, and we're focused on a singular question, where is God? And I want to spend just a few moments off the top uh, talking about the idea behind this series and why we're going to spend four weeks focused again on just just one question, where is God? Uh, First, I want you to know that I'm beginning with the assumption that this is a question we have all asked in our life at some point along the way. We've found ourselves, uh, for a variety of reasons, asking the question, where is God? And some of you today may be at a place where this question is the question of your life right now. Uh, You you may think to yourself, this this series, the timing of it is perfect for me because this is exactly what I'm going through because of a circumstance or season of your life. You're asking this question, where is God? And and for everyone who's ever asked that question before, for anyone uh, certainly who may be in that season right now, I hope this series is helpful. I hope it's meaningful. I hope it's a blessing to you. But I also want us all to have a broader perspective in mind. That as we hear this question, where is God, I want you to think about it not only as a question that some people ask in faith, but rather a question that all people ask in life. Whether, uh, whether they believe in God or not, whether they believe in the existence of God or not, I believe that, that somewhere along the way, Everyone finds themselves asking this question for some reason or another. Sometimes this is a question that's asked out of curiosity. Where's God? I want to learn more. I I want to discover. I'm seeking. I'm longing for an understanding of who God is and and what that means for me in my life and and if it means anything to me in my life. Sometimes and, and oftentimes it's a question that's raised in the midst of tragedy, in the aftermath of that. Out of, out of pain and, and grief, there is this question that comes up, where's God or where was God uh, in, in the midst of this experience that, uh, that, that I'm walking through right now or that I've, that, that I've just walked through? It's a question that we ask in the midst of chaos and confusion when the, when the world that we thought we knew, it suddenly comes crashing down. And again, this question comes, where, where, where's God? In the midst of all of this, it's a question that's asked out of a sense of hopelessness or even the absence of a belief. It's a question that may be asked in the course of an argument between people who have a different perspective or or perhaps a question that's asked uh, from someone to another to try to understand a different perspective on that question, where is God? Again, regardless of what one believes about God. I believe it's a question that all people find themselves asking in life. And and this wider, larger perspective is important for us, I think, for two reasons. I'm going to tell you the first one now. I'm going to tell you the second one at the end of the message. But right now, what I want you to hear uh, is that if this is true, that this is more than a question that some uh, ask in faith but all ask in life, 
then that means that this series is not only for you, it's not only for your circumstance, but this series is also for someone else. Maybe someone else in your life right now who's asking this question, or someone who in the future may ask this question of you because they just have the sense that maybe you can help. Maybe you can speak a word in their life. Maybe you can offer them uh, some support. And again, in a circumstance or a situation that they may have never expected, uh, but they need some help uh, walking through that. Uh, So a a few words about Luke 24. Uh, We're going to begin reading at verse 13. Um, And the first thing I want you to know is that this passage is going to be our home base uh, for the entire series. In fact, I'm only going to read to you half of it today. We're going to look at the second half uh, next week. But let me give you a little bit of context so that you know where we are in Luke's uh, account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Luke 19, Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the Passover, and he's welcomed as a king. And for the, the, the following days, everything seems to be going really well for Jesus. He goes into the temple courts, he confronts uh, the corrupt religious leadership in Jerusalem, the crowds and their excitement, their anticipation continues to grow. Many are asking and wondering, could Jesus in fact be the one that we have been waiting for, God's anointed one who they believed had, was going to come and set the world right again. And the energy and the enthusiasm for that, again, is continuing to rise in the days following Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. He comes at the Passover season, by the way, and so may I also keep in mind that there are hundreds of thousands of others who have come to Jerusalem at this particular time, and, and, and there's this fear of what will happen. Uh, what, what, will, will, the, will the crowds rise up in, in, a, uh, in a mob to, to turn against the religious leadership? And so in the middle of chapter 22, things kind of head south, and they, and they head south quickly. Uh, there is uh, is a crowd that comes and arrests Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is brought before the religious leadership. He's condemned and then he's handed over to the Romans. And the accusation that is made is that Jesus is trying to subvert the power of Caesar. Uh, He is uh, very quickly uh, condemned of that. And so in the second half of chapter 23, we read about the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus. We get to chapter 24. And it looks like maybe the story is taking another turn. Uh, Two women who were followers of Jesus come to the tomb of Jesus. uh, And upon entering it, they discover that his body is not there. Uh, And and then in Luke's account, there are two men who then appear to them, who ask them this question, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And so these women go back to the 11 disciples as well as some of the other followers of Jesus who were sort of in hiding at the time and they share with them what, what they saw, what they experienced and what they heard from these messengers there at the tomb. Uh, but in chapter 24, verse 11, you, you see how the disciples respond to that and what it says is the disciples didn't believe the women because what they were saying sounded like nonsense. After all, dead people stay dead, right? I mean, that's kind of how the world works. When you die, you don't come back. Dead people stay dead. And so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to the disciples. In verse 12, Peter leaves the group. He goes to investigate for himself. He goes into the tomb. He finds exactly what the women found, which is nothing. The body of Jesus is, is not there. And, and at the end of verse 12, uh, what, what Luke shares is that Peter went away and just kind of wondering what in the world is going on. 
And don't miss this. The reason that no one knows what is going on, the reason that everyone is is curious and and just very confused is because no one has seen Jesus yet. Uh, no, no one has, has, has seen what, what has happened to him. All they know at this point is the body is missing. And some have said that the reason that the body is missing is because he's come back to life. But no one has laid eyes on him yet. And that's why no one knows exactly what is going on. Then we get to verse 13. And Luke t- takes us to a totally different scene. Let me re- begin uh, reading uh, right there. Now that same day... Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So these two men are referred to some of them. These are some of the followers of Jesus who had been there to hear the report from the women. And what we read here is though they don't know it, Jesus, the one who no one has seen yet, has started to walk alongside them. But keep in mind that they are leaving Jerusalem. And the reason they are leaving Jerusalem is because in their mind, the show is over. And it didn't have a happy ending. And so as they return to whatever their lives had been before... What Luke tells us is that Jesus begins to walk with them. Jesus asks this question in verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And then it says, they, these two men, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So again, Luke has helped you out. You've got a little bit of the inside scoop. Luke has shared with us, the, the, the reader, that this is actually Jesus right there with him. Jesus is walking alongside them. Jesus is the one who is uh, having this conversation with them. He is right there with them. And as the reader, you're thinking to yourself, open your eyes. He's right there. You're, 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 you're down, your face is downcast. You're, you're responding in sadness and frustration. You're talking about everything that's happened. And yet Jesus is, he's right there. The, the hope, all of their hopes is right there before them. And, and they've heard word about what the women have shared, this idea that maybe, maybe in fact Jesus is alive. But here's what I don't want you to miss. They're still leaving Jerusalem. They've made the decision that it isn't worth their time to stick around and see if the rumors are in fact true. And maybe it's because 
they've just made a decision that they don't want to go there. That, that, that this idea of hope returning, that, that this, 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 this hope that Jesus might in fact be alive, maybe in their own heart they just think, I just, I just can't go there. And, and perhaps we should keep in mind that that's sort of how it works sometimes in life. That when your heart is broken, and again, everything that you thought the world was when, when you're understanding, when it comes crashing down, when you are in the aftermath of, of incredible pain and hurt because of something you never expected to experience in your life, when you lose hope, it really does feel like hope will never find you again. When hopelessness sets into our life, its roots dig down deep within us. And it's hard for us to fathom what it would look like for those to be uprooted again from our life. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but, but we are today living in an increasingly hopeless world. Have you experienced that? Have you felt that? In, in a world where we seem to consistently hear about mass shootings, in a world where we uh, all the time hear about threats of, of, of uh, acts of terror or violence, in a world that seems to be defined by conflict and division, in a world where it seems like everyone is shouting and no one is listening. In a world like that, we, we find ourselves asking questions like, where is God? Where in the world is God in the midst of all of this mess? And what kind of world are we actually living in? Are we living in a world that God has made, a world in which God is constantly working for our good? Or are we living in a world that God has abandoned? Are we living in a world that, that, that somehow we've, we've been left to our own to figure it out? Or maybe this was the question these men were asking, are we actually living in a world where we forced God out? Are we living in a world where evil really can triumph over good? These are the questions that a hopeless world asks. And we are living in a time where people are asking them more and more because we are living in an increasingly hopeless world. Which brings me to the second reason why I think it's so critical as we move through these four weeks that we hear this question not simply just as one that some people ask in the midst of faith, but that all ask in the midst of life. Because we are also living in what can be described as a post-Christian world. We are living in a world today where Christianity is not the dominant worldview. We are living in a world today where increasingly many are seeing the Christian faith as irrelevant to their daily lives. And this will not surprise you to hear this from the pastor. I believe there's a connection between these two things. That in a post-Christian world where Christianity is increasingly seen by many as irrelevant to their lives, we also have a, lie, a world in which people are increasingly experiencing this world as hopeless. Uh, without hope for what the future might be. And yet here's the irony of that. Again, in a world where all these questions are being asked, where is God? 
what kind of world do we live in? Is this a world that God has made? Is this a world that God has abandoned? Can evil really triumph over good? In a world that is constantly asking these questions, here's the irony or perhaps the deeper concern that I have as a pastor. I, I observe two dominant responses that Christians have to this radically changing world. As we seek to process what it means for us that, that the world is not as it once was, and one of those dominant responses that I see over here on this extreme is, is the response of anger. There's a lot of people who are angry about that. They're angry about how the world has changed. They're angry that the world of their youth is not the world of, of their life today. They're, they're angry that somehow, it, in, in what seems like a blink of an eye, the world has changed. And, and, and many of them feel like they've been left behind in a world that doesn't make sense to them anymore. And they're angry about that. And they're more than willing to express their anger over that. And not only are they willing to express their anger, they've actually identified who's at fault for this. And they love to express their anger at those who, again, they deem responsible for the way in which the world has changed. Because the world is moving in a direction that makes them uncomfortable. It makes them feel like they've been lost, left behind the power, the influence they may have had is, is somehow melting away, and they're angry about that. But there's another extreme. Again, one of the dominant responses that I see on the other side is apathy. The other side is this, this, this sense of, well, it's just the world. It's just, it's just what's happening. There's nothing we can do about it. Sometimes that apathy grows out of a sense of fear. Uh, sometimes it just grows out of a sense of frustration. Well, there's nothing I can do. Sometimes people find themselves at, 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 this, uh, at this end of the extreme because they're worried about how others might perceive them, what, what they say and what they do. Is someone going to, to, to hear my thought as, a, as, as pushy or offensive or, or, or is, is whatever I do or say, is it going to be interpreted as, as something that is not done in love? But, but I don't want you to miss this dynamic because this is also interesting. And we're talking about within the Christian uh, church. We're talking about the way in which we as Christians are trying to engage a world that is, that is changing, that is not uh, as, it, as it once was. One of the things our bishop says uh, to pastors all the time whenever we gather is, no matter how much you want this to be true, tomorrow will not be 1955. It's just not going to happen. What, what, but here's the dynamic. Part of what drives anger is how these interpret others' apathy. And part of what makes uh, those on this end of the spectrum, part of what makes them feel apathetic is because of how uncomfortable they are with others' expression of anger. And yet, in a world that is asking the question, where is God? In a world that, that finds himself at this exact place that we, we find ourselves here in the gospel, where no one has seen Jesus, and everyone is asking the question, where is he? In a world where people are asking, what kind of world is this? Is this a world that God has made, a, God, a world that God is working for good? Is this a world where God has abandoned us? Can evil really triumph over good? I think this world deserves more than an expression of our anger, or an apathetic response to the hopelessness that is setting in. I think the world in which we live deserves people of faith who are willing to listen 
to another's hopelessness. I think this world deserves people of faith who are willing in courageous ways to come alongside and to walk with others. And this world deserves brave men and women who are willing to witness to the one who we see standing in our midst to share our own experience of God, what that has meant to our own life and what we believe it might mean in the life of another. The world deserves better than what many Christians are offering in response to a radically changing world. The same thing we see Jesus doing here, being willing to listen and walk alongside and to stand there in their midst while they express their pain and their hurt and their longing for the world in which they have found themselves to be different, to be like the world they hoped it would be. And so each week of this series, what we're going to share is a simple response to this question, a, a foundation of our faith. And, and this, is, this is what it is for today. We believe that God is here. This is a fundamental conviction of the Christian faith. It's our, one of our responses to this question, where is God? We believe that God is here. And, and we don't often do this in, in, in this service here, 9.30 or at the, at the cafe, but in some of our services, we often start with an affirmation of faith, a, a reading that everyone shares together, every voice together, we proclaim what we believe. And one of those affirmations that we often share begins in this way. It begins by saying, we are not alone. We together with one voice, we say we are not alone. This is one of our beliefs. Despite what we see, what we feel, what we experience, we are not alone. We believe that God is here. We live in God's world. We hold to that truth. We, we are defined by that truth that we live in God's world and we believe in God. We believe that God has not only created the world, but God is continuing to create. We believe that God has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, and in coming in Jesus, God is working to reconcile. God is working to make new. God is working in us. God is working in others by the Spirit, and we trust in God. We are called to be the church. This is one of the things that we believe. We are called to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in, in the world that God has created, to love and serve others, to seek justice, to resist evil, to proclaim to this world Jesus crucified and risen, to see him as our judge but also our hope so that we can understand in life and in death and in life beyond death, God is with us. And because we believe these things together, we can say, thank you, God. Thanks be to God. Because we are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God. We trust in God. God will never, ever abandon us. And if you're here today and you find yourself at that place of hopelessness, and you hear these three words and you think to yourself, I want that to be true, but I'm not sure that's enough for me right now. 
I want you to hear this very carefully. That is okay. It is okay to not be okay. And I want you to know that this, this, this is a place where people are willing to listen and to come alongside and to walk with you in whatever you are going through. If you are here and you feel like you have lost your faith, well, we will carry it for you. Or if you are here and, and, and you are seeking to understand faith, we'll hold it for you. We'll pray with you. We'll witness, we'll share with you our own experience of God and, and pray that that will be a blessing and helpful to you. We'll, we'll answer whatever questions that, that you may need to ask, recognizing that sometimes the answer is going to be, I don't know. I don't understand that either. But I want you to know that this is a place filled with people who are willing to listen, to come alongside, and to share life, the season, the experience, whatever it is that you're going through right now. If you're here today and the Spirit would convict you, and convict you in such a way that, uh, that God would say, you need to do something about that anger, that the world deserves better from you. Well, here's the invitation. You can confess that. And you can repent of that. And just in case that sounds like a big Bible word, you don't know what that means, here's what repent means. It means to turn around. It means what I used to do, I'm not going to do it anymore. Where once I felt angry and I expressed it, I'm going to respond in a different way with compassion and empathy, listening to the hopelessness that surrounds me. If you're here and God's spirit will convict you, wow, I've been stuck in apathy. And God would say, the world deserves better from you. Then you can confess that. And you can repent of that. Recognizing that all around you are people who are asking the same question. And searching for hope. In a world that is increasingly finding themselves. Finding it at a, at a hopeless place. People of faith. Willing to listen. Willing to walk alongside willing to testify to the one who we believe is standing in our midst, willing to hold firm to this conviction that God is here. Will you pray with me? Loving God, I, I lift to you today anyone here who finds himself at that place where it feels like hope is slipping away. Anyone here, Lord, who, who, who may... Who, who may feel a, a, a sense of hopelessness, a grief, a sorrow, walking through a difficult season of life, I pray, Lord, that you will surround them with those who are willing to listen, to, to walk alongside, to be present with them in whatever they are experiencing right now. Lord, I give you thanks that there is no experience of life, there is no place in our world where you are afraid to go. And there is no question that we could ever ask, whether in anger or in celebration, there's no question that you're not willing to hear. And you hear it with a heart of compassion, a heart of grace, a heart of love. And we pray, Lord, that in our lives as people of faith, that we would exhibit those, th those same things to a world that we know is hurting 
and a world that is looking for hope. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.